Today on Not Sam Wrestling, MLW's Court Bauer is my guest. Plus, we will break down Super Showdown. We will break down the week that Cody Rhodes is having, the return of Neville, the crowd in Seattle, and a whole lot more. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Are we ready for this or what? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. You'll uh, you'll hear. I did our, our our interview this week, and you'll hear halfway through the interview. I told you last week. You know, I got a, my parents gave me a mannequin for my birthday, which was like three weeks ago. If you didn't say happy birthday, don't bother saying it now. You missed it. It's over. But they gave me a mannequin because for my wedding, my wife Jess, for our wedding, I should say, the gift that she gave me, and this is how you can tell I married the right woman, was a ring-used gold dust outfit. Oh, geez, that was that was uh, very quick. That was a very quick fade out of the music. Excuse me. Um, she gave me a gold dust outfit that was ring-worn. Um... And so they gave my my parents gave me a mannequin this year for my birthday. That was like five years ago. My parents gave me a mannequin for my birthday this year, uh, so I could display the gold dust outfit properly. And now it is uh, it has found a place here in the Not Sam Studio. But every single day, Lila Garrity, the Labradoodle, has to come down here and bark like Dustin Rhodes is down here. So you'll hear in the interview uh, when Lila Garrity gets involved. It's going to be a very fun show today. Very fun show. Of course, we're going to break down Super Showdown. I'm really looking forward to it. I love the international shows, man. It started, the first one, I guess Beast in the East was first, right? The show from Japan. I remember that one because that was July 4th of whatever year it was. And I was in the Adirondacks. Uh, Some friends, there were some mountains here in New York. And I was up in the mountains, like literally sleeping in a cabin. There, there, they, they, my, my friend's parents have a house where they have acres and acres of land. I mean, out in the middle of nowhere, but thank God they have Wi-Fi because I had my iPad and I woke up in a cabin and I was able to watch Beast in the East in, in, in HD right there in the middle of the wilderness on my iPad via Wi-Fi. It was great and it was live. Couldn't believe it. Then uh, I remember when they did the UK tournament. It was like a Saturday and a Sunday afternoon getting to watch new live wrestling. In the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday, it was a thrill. The Saudi Arabia show, coming home from work, rushing home from work. Taking a half day, basically, so I could get home at like 12.30 on Friday afternoon so I could turn on the WWE Network and spend all Friday afternoon watching the show. I'm going to have the same feeling with Super Showdown. I know. This is going to turn in, and hopefully they keep doing this in Australia, because when they do it early in the morning, it's going to turn into like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but for wrestling fans. You know how you wake up early so you can see the floats and you can see Santa and they're all marching down Macy's whatever on on Thanksgiving morning? That's what's going to happen for us watching Super Showdown. Because I know I'm going to be up at 5 a.m. It starts at 5 a.m. here on the East Coast. I'm going to be up at 5 a.m. I'm sure I'll be watching from bed, but I am absolutely going to turn my Apple TV on so I can watch Super Showdown. I'm very, very excited. Then I'll be able to play 2K, I think. 2K19, oh my God, what a weekend, what a weekend I have in store for myself. But before we get to the weekend, we got to get through Not Sam Wrestling, and it's a hell of a podcast today. We'll break down all of Super Showdown in the state of wrestling, as well as 
the other uh, four stories of the week that we need to break down. But before we get there, I've got a fabulous interview for you. And that interview is with Court Bauer. Court Bauer is a fascinating guy, very interesting guy, very uh, fun and easy to talk to. He runs MLW, used to be a wrestling promotion, then became a podcast network, now is a podcast network and a wrestling promotion. Uh, of course, all your favorite, uh, I should say other favorites, besides the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, and not Sam Wrestling, all your other favorites, your Bruce Pritchards, your Eric Bischoff's, the Conrad shows, all those shows, are MLW shows, which is Court Bauer's uh, podcast network. But he's running MLW, and it really is an amazing thing that he's pulling off. They're doing TV tapings. They're not just doing you know random indie shows. They're doing TV tapings for every show, and they actually they have a deal with this network called BN Sports, and they're also on YouTube, and they put it up every week, once a week. They've got a, a, a TV show that goes up, and they do war games, and they did uh, Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal. They've done it. Well, Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal, I think, technically goes down tonight at the time of this podcast in New York City. But so much stuff, and so much stuff to talk about with Court and the way uh, he puts everything together in MLW, but also about his time that he spent uh, on the WWE creative team. He spent about three years as a key member of the WWE creative team. Not to mention... He's a mega, mega wrestling fan. So uh, uh, a lot to talk about with Court, and I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with him. Let's get right to it. The interview for this week on Not Sam Wrestling is the one and only Court Bauer. The Not Sam Wrestling interview. Here we are. It's the Not Sam studio, and with me here on Not Sam Wrestling from MLW, the podcast network, the wrestling promotion the the universe court bauer back for the first time in a long time yes but yes. back what's going on man what's the haps uh your studio has much improved since the last time <laughs> i was uh, doing this so uh awesome I, I seriously every corner i look this is like wrestling nirvana right here it's Good. really cool yeah yeah yeah. i wanted to feel i just wanted to feel very sam yeah when yeah. you come down here you know the only thing that interrupts the wrestling flow is the sneakers no, I love the sneakers. I'm a sneaker head, so I saw that. I was like, this is the yeah. best fusion of wrestling and culture you can get. I love it. Well, you're one of the few people that got to see this studio as well as the previous establishment <laughs> where I was broadcasting from. Yeah, yeah. Which was my living room table. And, you know, luckily you were in Westchester. So I was like, you want to come to my apartment and podcast? <laughs> <laughs> What's well, crazy, too, when you think about Westchester and all the wrestling history here, because you have Paul E., you have Dreamer. Uh, Captain Lou. Captain Lou. Freddie Blasi lived here. Uh, a lot of people. Arnold Scollin. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of wrestling came through here. Um, some of the old guys from the 1800s lived here. Muldoon, the original headliner for Madison Square Garden in the 1870s, 80s. So this is this that's is, awesome. It's a pretty hot spot for wrestling. You don't think it when you walk around the mean streets of Westchester, right? But <laughs> it's got some rich history in wrestling. No, you know, especially of course you think about the McMahons. It's yeah, I mean, their backyard. Yeah, we're right next. I don't think people realize how close we are to, to Stanford and all that. But also, the Westchester County Center yep. in White Plains mm-hmm. is a building that's been running, I mean, WWE, WWF, but wrestling in general for years. Everybody that's lived in Westchester for any sort of lengthy period of time 
went there as a kid yeah. to watch whatever wrestling was. 100%. Uh, I remember going there and seeing WWF and uh, booing the natural disasters as a kid and then seeing ECW and the promo that Paulie got kicked out of the county center for cutting. Yeah. Uh, pretty explicit promo in its time. And uh, just to see the evolution of, you've had Monday Night Raw there. I remember going there with a fever as a kid, watching it in like 93, 94. I was probably at that Raw. That was when, uh, that was, the, I mean, they would tape four weeks at a time. Yeah. But that was when they did, it wasn't Bret Hart versus 123Kid. It was Nikolai Volkov versus 123Kid. <laughs> yes. Because I tell X-Pac that now. And I'm like, yeah, you remember the match with Bret, of course. He was like, you were there for that? I was like, no, I was there for the Nikolai match. And he goes... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but they I saw a lot of good matches there. There was a great uh, steel cage match, I think, with Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty yep. or something like that. Yeah, it was really good. The old blue shark cage. Yeah, really good match. And I used to like seeing like the up and coming guys they'd have dark matches for. And I remember a mm -hmm. young Tommy Dreamer wearing suspenders and baggy pants. Uh, sparkling pants, I think, making his, uh, I don't think it was his debut, but doing a dark match. Uh, a very young Tommy Dreamer before he had the goatee. And uh, Westchester's own Tommy Dreamer. Of course. Uh, and so there's a lot of history there. Of course, ECW. Yeah, uh, I was at that ECW show. The, that they ran the, the TV tape. The last one. The one and only. <laughs> because, and the, so the Westchester County Center, it's in, it's near us here. Yeah. But it seats what? Mm, 2,500. 2,500, I would say, yeah. Um, but for like ECW, it's perfect. Like it looks like it's small enough that you could run it, but it was big enough that at the time it was an upgrade from like the Elks Lodge oh, yeah. and the ECW arena. And it kind of like just visually is like, wow, look at how much this company has grown. Yeah. But, and, and there was all this talk when ECW was running the county center, they were doing uh, TNN TV taping. Right. So it was like three weeks of TV or something. But all the and it was the holidays, but there was all this talk that this was going to be the new ECW arena. That that mm. Pauly, everybody knew that Heyman lived around here. Yep. So they were like, this the county center is going to be the spot where ECW runs. They're going to be here every month. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And all of us at the time, all us wrestling fans are ECW fans because yeah. we're you know more or less the same age. And I mean the show. Of course, Paul Heyman cuts the promo. He was very fired up. He was very excited to be doing this. I think he was too excited. Yes. Got too comfortable, and before you knew it. Uh, some uh, profanity slipped, and uh, <laughs> some things were said, and uh, the county center, which is run by the city of White Plains, right. was uh, not happy. And there were also fights happening. Like, I'll never yeah. forget. Like, I spent all my money and got floor seats. Not front row, but floor right. seats. And right behind me, like, uh, you know, uh, these guys are like... They're being super obnoxious, and they're behind us, and they're yelling, and blah, blah, blah. And we just had it all night. And there's this one guy who's sitting right behind us, and he's just this, like, really quiet guy. He's got glasses. I'm a kid. He's, an, he's like, an adult, but he's, like, young. I mean, he's probably younger than we are now. He's probably 20. Yeah. But when I'm whatever, however old I was, 15 or whatever, he's an adult. But he's, he's, so he's this young guy. He's got his glasses on, and he's, blind, and he's just sort of, you couldn't pick him out of a lineup. You know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. blended in completely. And just something caught him the wrong way. And he had this look. I'll never forget. They must have yelled something because I remember looking back at him. And he goes, <sighs> and he takes his glasses off oh, and he puts boy. them in his pocket and he looks at his beer and he just throws it behind him <laughs> right at the guys knowing 
we're going to fight now. And this this fight with half this thing erupts. If you watch the Masato Tanaka-Mike Awesome match, halfway through the match, you can see like Masato Tanaka setting up for like a top rope powerbomb or something. And he's looking out into the audience because there's this big fight happening. And they're fighting. They finally break it up. They're breaking things like it's ridiculous. They ended up breaking one of the chairs that was there on the ground, right? Right. This guy comes back who is getting food. He has the ECW championship replica on, and he walks back to his seat. He missed all of it, and his chair is broken. <laughs> and he's like, what happened? He got the authentic ECW experience exactly. is what happened. Exactly. New Jack jumping off the balcony. It was uh, <laughs> it was amazing. They probably were thinking this was going to be like WWE and yes. the old-timey kind of WWE house show. And ECW was... Totally not that that experience. No matter where you saw ECW, it was not that experience. But it's too bad, because that would have been a really fun, especially for us, a really great home base. But ECW's production's out of Westchester. Right. um, In a basement or two of Charlie Bruzis' house. And Paul Lee and Tommy were out of of here. And so it made a lot of sense to have it be in in Westchester and a lot cheaper than New York City. But... uh, a lot more stricter, supposedly so. I do have the fan camp tape from that night, though. Oh, really? I, I mean, it's probably at my parents' house somewhere, yeah. but I have the fan camp tape from that night. So I look, I mean, what I like about what's this incarnation of MLW, because you were doing MLW years ago, right? Yes. Right, yeah. a version of it. It yeah. wasn't like this. No. I feel like this incarnation of MLW is so, you know, the, the, the original version was more like, okay, this is our promotion. There was a little bit of edge to it. There was, mm-hmm. there was this. This Major League Wrestling today feels so fan-infused, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 when I'm looking at the lineups and I'm watching the shows on YouTube and stuff, right. like, I'm like, this is a guy, you, mm-hmm. who's getting to do the stuff that he's like, wouldn't it be awesome if, right. you know what I always wanted to see? Wouldn't it be cool if, and it feels like that's kind of how you're programming. Yeah, and I think, too, we I make sure we gauge social media because it's free market research. Hey, what do you want to see? Who do you want to see? And yeah. all of a sudden, you'll get flooded with all this feedback on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Even we, we picked Chicago based on feedback on Instagram for our next market. And it was like, where do you want us to go next? And we just basically counted Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Okay, we're going to go to Chicago. <laughs> and of course, all in doing rather well there made it a, a logical choice as well. But uh, social media is such a big difference because you can kind of gauge, is, it, is this match going to get hot or not? Let's see what the, the fans think. And you can kind of get more dialed into your instincts now than back in the day when it was a little bit colder. You put something out, is it going to heat up or not? You don't know. Right. Uh, the, the fan has changed today. And that's what first for me was a real struggle was booking, and, and this is traditionally how it was, you're, you're a few steps ahead of the fan and you're manipulating them to what they want. And now the fan's so sophisticated, and it's not really as much heel versus baby face as it used to be. It's not that Vince Russo thing, but it's just different. Every match has context, kind of like a UFC fight. Yes. You can love Conor McGregor. You can also hate him. And so now it's more about context than it's just, okay, he's always going to be your de facto baby face until he does the big angle and turns. You can still sprinkle that stuff in. But it's a different time. 2018 is totally different than wrestling back in the day. It's 24-7. The ecosystem's totally different. It lives and breathes differently than it did. Yeah, I mean, it's about characters having a reason for doing the things that they do. Yeah. And then it's kind of up to us to sympathize with one. I mean, they're, they're operating in totally separate ways. Mm-hmm. Which one do you think is right? Right. And either, either way, yeah. that's the right answer, right? Like, either, right. as long as you're picking one of them, 
That's it. Yeah. How do you, uh, and this is a pretty basic question, but it's just something I've been curious about, and I think other people are. How do you figure out what isn't copyrighted? And because like I, you see mm-hmm. war games pop up, right. and I think that surprised a lot of people. Yeah. Number one, just because it's awesome that there's a war games match, right. but really because wait, NXT mm-hmm. has brought back war games already. Like you see yeah. the phrase war games on TV. Spin the wheel, make the deal mm-hmm. is coming back this week in New York. Like mm-hmm. I thought, WWE bought WCW, and you would think right. that that was a that was the IP of Turner. Well, yeah, and and when they acquired it, Turner hadn't uh, trademarked any of these things. And so, yeah, they bought the copyright, so it's not like you can go out there and distribute 1997 Slamboree. Right. But uh, War Games was available. It was never trademarked, so we trademarked it about a year and a half ago, a year, year and change, and have that IP. And it really, it wasn't to prevent NXT from using it, or Cody, or whoever, just to protect us, to allow us to do it, if we wanted to do it. So, so are they... Are you providing them a license to use it? Uh, let's, but that's I, the way I, legally... I, let's just say right now I can't say much about the situation, but um, soon I will be. There is a cooperative... I can't say anything. Okay, all right. All right, but there is a story there. It's not like you were just like, let's try to do war games and see if anybody notices. No, we, we had the precedent, and plus we did it in 2003 uh-huh. uh, with Terry Funk, who almost got me arrested that night. How is uh, that? Well, he uh, decided to take a branding iron, light it on fire, and blow a big fireball into Steve Carino for the finish. Now, I wasn't aware of that. By the way, not terribly dissimilar to when he set the ECW arena on fire in 95. He's like a pyromaniac. It's a, yeah. It doesn't work him. out. <laughs> hey, hey. This is, people know by now if they listen to the podcast that Lila barks at the mannequin. Yeah, well. But she's been laying here the whole time. Yeah, well, you know, just got to keep on his feet. Lila! Lila, everything's fine. <laughs> it's but, a mannequin dressed in a gold dust outfit. Yes, and the dog is losing her mind right now. And you should probably tell them what era gold dust because there was the fetish era. There was a lot of different uh, eras. Oh no, this yeah. I, I, and I've done research on it because you can see kind of in the outline of the design yeah. that there at one point was black sequins there yeah. that have, were taken off, and so I started doing the Google imaging, and it's intercontinental championship era. Gold dust. Oh, the prime. Yeah, like the to me, that, that's it's yeah. ninety six, yeah. mid ninety six ish era gold dust. So it's very, it's it's very special yeah. to me. But you were Lila seems to have calmed down now. Uh, so we we're talking about Terry Funk, yes, and the branding iron. So uh, he blows this fireball into Steve Carino's face. The finish of the War Games match. The music plays. Uh, the fire marshal happens to be in the building and comes up saying, who is the promoter? And uh, they point to me. And <laughs> Terry Funk uh, is you know, getting cleaned up and Carino's selling backstage because kayfabe still kind of existed, even some circles backstage. And uh, the fire marshal says, uh, yeah, um, you didn't have any permits for this. You endanger the crowd. Uh, we can arrest you for this. Uh, and, then, and you couldn't tell the fire marshal, but everyone's fine. I'm like, yeah, it didn't matter because it was, they were thinking like what they, maybe they knew about Terry's history, but like suppose if it sparked off and sure. someone, yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it, and I was mortified when I saw it. I'm like, oh my God, how are they going to get, extinguish the fire? Uh, and I didn't know Terry was pretty damn good with this, but still, right. I'm freaking out as it's happening. You would think as the promoter, 
you get a little heads up if there's going to be a fireball branding iron. Every wrestler but Terry Funk, because he's a rebel, and <laughs> Terry's going to do what he's going to do. And right. it, it's it's the old adage of ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Right. That, I just never heard that. I've heard that adage before. Never applied to fire. Oh well, Terry Funk would use it for anything. <laughs> that, you know. But then, so Terry sees that they're lining me up, and it's not looking good. And there's now two policemen by the fire marshal, which is indicating something bad is about to happen and he comes over what's wrong here they explain the story and he's shaking bleeding he goes he puts his arms up like this is if you're gonna arrest anyone arrest me damn it don't arrest him he's just a child he doesn't know <laughs> arrest me damn it it's my fault he didn't know and i'm like hey, arrest him <laughs> yeah you're like yeah I'm, I'm a child and Creel's like oh my god he's gonna get her there what's going on and he cut a great promo mm. the fire marshal believed him and said never again never come back and uh, got us out of that. Uh, but it was one of those nights as a promoter, like, oh, why am I doing this? Yeah. Oh, my God. I, and you, there's nothing you could have done because they could have, if I had asked, hey, we had a finish, it did not involve that. Uh, Terry was just being Terry. And uh, he wanted to give the fans something big for the finish. And I applaud him for that. But that was insane. Yeah, I mean, I'm look, I'm sure everybody that was at that show tells that story the way we told, <laughs> yeah. like, the ECW yeah. White yeah. Plains stories. Like, yeah. everybody remembers that. But, sure. yes, you're right. That's insane and mortifying uh because of the liability because of the danger and uh you know you you wanted to come back to the building it was a hot building for us so uh there was a million reasons we i would not have wanted that it looks awesome in retrospect it's part of our opening on on bn on friday nights but uh it's certainly something that for about 10 minutes i was mortified i was gonna end up uh needing to get bailed out for uh being a part of i don't know if this is too uh behind the curtain so if you don't want to share you don't have to because it's your product sure. but when you're, you're gonna do a spin the wheel make the deal match right mm -hmm. Do you have you already through watching kind of figured out how to gimmick a spin the wheel make the deal oh, or yeah. oh yeah okay yeah, so you, 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 yeah it, it, that's pretty easy yeah um, in fact I'm picking up the wheel it was built in New Rochelle really uh, after after we record I'm going to pick it up yeah so I'm I'm very excited to see how the final product looks but is it very similar in like in your mind's eye is it very similar to the original it, I mean it has like the kind of a razor blade. The buzzsaw-looking uh, buzz thing. blade. Yeah. yeah, it has that. Uh, there was a version they did with Vader where there was these massive horns. We don't have the massive horns, but it's. Uh, we're very we're very curious to see how this plays out. I have a feeling we're going to have to tape the pre-tape where you have everyone assemble and do the spin Rel relatively first in our pre-tape schedule because people are going to keep spinning that thing and have fun. It's going to break. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that thing's not making it. We're, we're doing our pre-tapes tomorrow. That thing's not lasting the whole day. <laughs> Now, do you feel like you have to discipline yourself because the fan in everybody mm -hmm. wants to do the coal miners gloves, man? I know you <laughs> tweeted about it already, but like that's really you remember the Sting Jake Roberts match. You remember the coal miners glove, and, but to me, as a as like I didn't grow up on NWA. Right, I grew up here, and yeah. then my family moved to England, so we I, it was completely WWF, right? Yeah. So my WCW knowledge was from magazines. I could get the WCW magazine in England. <laughs> But I didn't find out about 6.05 on Saturday night until I got back here in 93, right. Right? right? So my only exposure to the original Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal was in WCW Magazine. And at first, I'm like, that's amazing. What a cool concept. And then they were like, it's a coal miner glove match. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because we'll leave, it's great because of social media. People are like, there's people that really want that match, and there's people like, if you do that, I'm going to be so pissed. Right. Just, I'd probably be the second, yeah. the second group. Yeah. I mean, but either way, you want to see. Like, 
You know, you know what I mean. It's a, it, it. Listen, it's it's a very affordable option for the promoter. You just get uh, one glove. It's pretty easy to get. That <laughs> Apparently, wrap some store. wrap some duct tape to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. It, you know, it, there's a lot of different gimmicks you can do. So for us, it, it was fun just to play with it. And and uh, you know, you have Jimmy Havoc and Sammy Callahan. Yeah. Whatever one it lands on, uh, whatever wherever fate takes us. Uh, I think it'll be fun. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to, I guess, be super in tune with what's going on in the wrestling world outside of WWE in order to effectively run something like MLW because Sammy Callahan, I feel mm-hmm. like, is just on a streak. I was a big Sammy Callahan fan before he went to NXT. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I was doing stuff in Jersey All Pro. You know, I was doing commentary and stuff where he was doing shows there. And I just think he's on a streak now like very few people are. And I actually think he's still really underrated for the work that he's doing yeah. on the indies. It's pretty pretty remarkable. He has a real high wrestling IQ. And at a certain point a few months ago, I said, you know what, start coming to our agent meetings. You know, I'd like your input uh, on finishes and match layout. I wanted more out of some of my guys. And before you knew it, he was now an agent and helping to lay out some of the matches for the young guys. He's on the road with these guys. He can help them. He can coach them up. Uh, so there was a real advantage to bring him into the fold. And he's never really had that responsibility. But now he is really a veteran on yeah. the indies. And so the the kids all love him. They all look up to him because he's built this thing uh, in his own sandbox, whereas so many other guys, it's harder to accomplish. So they look up to him. And he's a really good coach. And so, you know, you see his in-ring work and his intense promos. But there's another side to him. He's really incredible when it comes to the the behind-the-scenes operational stuff. And in a different era, he would definitely be running uh, a territory. He would probably be a booker and a promoter and all that stuff. Kind of feels a little Kevin sullivan Yes. Kevin Sullivan, yeah, just there's a lot of those guys that could, you know, wear the trunks but also work with a pencil and a book and, and map out things or be a promoter. Uh, like the Sheik uh, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely got some of that in him. And he kind of has that little thing out in Ohio going on. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, he's he's a guy that also, for us, it, we have a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that are very experienced behind the scenes, like Bruce Pritchard, uh, Tommy Dreamer. But uh, for MLW, to have a younger guy that can speak the talk to the, the, the same talent in the locker room. I think that also helps. It gives us a different perspective. Uh, all important uh, perspectives, but it's nice to have variety so they can go to totally. one guy over another guy if they feel more comfortable. Uh, I believe in versatility. Definitely. Do you think whether he uses every single thing he learned or not, it benefited Sammy to have gone through the NXT process that he went through? Because, like, I feel like, you know, doing WWE stuff, even for me, once a month has completely opened my eyes. It's changed the way I watch. Mm-hmm. every wrestling promotion and j- mm-hmm. just seeing the way the machine works it's mm-hmm. all these little tiny details that you just never were aware of and i feel just like being there once a month it's turned me into having a better producer's mind do you think that i'll ask you know about your experience with that but sammy going through nxt do you think that now he sees that side of things as well Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it helped him. And I also think it kind of gave him perspective. You go through that system, um, you're going to be exposed to a lot of different perspectives. You're going to have a lot of different things thrown at you. Uh, the WWE operation's huge. Uh, what you're expected to do and the way you work there, it's different. And it just it's another place to learn. But the WWE operation as a whole, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for Sammy, uh, I think 
it just it was one it was like the probably the first real professional production environment he was in so working at a hard camera working you know he, he worked for ring of honor in different companies but the ww machine would be learning all that stuff about the other side of the business not just the in ring but the other side i think was probably invaluable to him now he then made the decision of very you know very, you can count on one hand how many guys leave wwe and then pop off somewhere else i was there when omega did it he was in deep south a very beleaguered developmental at the time and by the way when omega did it that was even crazier because yes. he had developed no reputation for no. himself. He had, didn't have any exposure. No, no. He he basically, you know, and you're you're blowing up what you're you're on track to someday do something in WWE. You're blowing that up, and then you're going to Japan. If you you know, and starting from from literally the ground floor and slowly making your way up to where he is now. That what to me, I remember watching him, and so many guys were neglected in Deep South at the time. But I'm looking at this guy. I'm thinking. I don't know. You know, they're making him do comedy stuff, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. I mean, I remember him, but he didn't seem like okay. This is the can't miss guy. Matt Capitelli to me was a real sad tragedy. He had it, and of course, what happened uh, just was really sad because he he could have been in that CM Punk class that came through OVW when Paul Heyman was booking it. He could have been a huge star in the last ten years, really. And it really is sad, too, not only the way it all turned out, but just the fact that even in that very beginning, we don't have it because Mm -hmm. it wasn't presented the way NXT is presented, right? Like, God forbid something like that were to happen to a new guy now, at least there would be... We we would know, we we would all be aware of the potential, not just people like you who were there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could only get OVW through... uh, They had a tape subscription. Other than that, I mean, it it was local Louisville TV... We got the tapes every week, and uh, I I thought it was I learned so much not just from watching that footage in the creative room, but uh, writers' room, but reading Paul Heyman's emails where he assess the talent and you go through everything. I would print those out, highlight them. I still have them in my my man cave in my uh, closet downstairs. And all that stuff from that era because I learned from Paul. Just reading his stuff, yeah, was it was invaluable. My experience at WWE uh, was. I, I loved my time there. You know, some people leave; they would have done things differently. I'm sure I would have. But uh, being able to learn right under uh, the watch of Vince McMahon, reporting directly to Vince and, and Stephanie, was an uh, invaluable experience because uh, you get you're part of the central nervous system. Yeah, and and you're you're sitting on video game meetings, marketing meetings, you're you're branding pay per views, you're writing the TV, you're looking at talent, you're trying to assess talent, you're giving feedback to talent relations. Uh, you're you're constantly looking at things in a 360 degree way. You're on the job, basically 24 seven, 365. And at first, it's overwhelming. It's a shock to the system, and then you adjust, or you just you you fade. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you just you're going, and it's just part of your condition to it. You're having conference calls on Christmas Eve or Thanksgiving morning, and you're just part of it. And once you go through that. Everything is a lot easier because you have this perspective because Vince demands ruthless efficiency and he holds people accountable. And there's this thing in wrestling where it's like kind of a lackadaisical culture sometimes like, eh, we'll get it right next time. You can't roll, you can't roll with that. Isn't it, roll isn't that it wild that that is like outside of WWE, that is a wrestling thing. Yeah, like every like, eh. place in wrestling, they go like, ah, we'll figure it out, blah, 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 blah. And that's just not... I mean, WWE has a different version of that, where there is sort of a lot of last-minute stuff, but yeah, you have to be prepared for every scenario, so that if there is something last-minute, 
all the details have already been worked out because we did it just in case. Yeah, there's a there's there's a system there, and a lot of the last minute stuff is to enhance and improve the product. Yes. Or a guy gets injured, and yes. they have to go with Plan B or C. Uh, but the the infrastructure is so great, the systems there to enable things to not slip through the cracks, which was different from the Turner culture where it was lackadaisical. And WWE, you can tell. I mean, it's 24-7, but you're thinking, you're going the extra step to think things through. And I guess I should, I have the McMahon's to thank for my high blood pressure because now I'm like just wired that way to like, right. I'm th- I wake up in the middle of the night, I have something that I forgot about, I put it into my iPad or start sending emails and everyone's like, oh my God, court sleeps three hours a night. No, but... You wake up and you're constantly thinking, and that's yeah. That's let me do this. I'm not going back to sleep. Let me do this, and yeah. then I'll go back to yeah. sleep, and then I'll, oh, I woke up. I got to do that. Yeah. But it's amazing when you're there because everybody, like you said, everybody's just going, and what that results in, like I still get to look at it from an outsider. You know what I mean? Because I come, I go, I come, I go, right. and what you see is like more than any company. And you know, Sirius is a giant company too, mm-hmm. and all I've worked at big, I've worked at CBS Radio, giant companies, but more than any other place I've worked. You see people that know what they're doing, right? They're not worried about what everybody else is doing. They know what they're doing. They're very good at what they do. They know how to communicate to the person who does this and to the person who does that. And all of a sudden, that's the infrastructure. It's this assembly line of people who are all like super highly skilled and all of them know that we exist in this reality where we don't fuck up, right? Like, Like that we do it right. And if we have to do it twice, if we have to do it three, we're going to do it right. And if we've only got one shot, we're doing it right in one. And Vince would tell you, if you screw up on live TV, you didn't screw up. You meant to do it. Uh, but, they, I mean, it is an incredible system. The McMahon way, I mean, people will Monday quarterback it to death. But um, that culture breeds success. I mean, the proof Absolutely. is in the pudding. Look at, look at the last 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And they, really, there's no company that size where one guy is doing as much as one guy no. is doing there, right? Like, no. like there, it's just, there, it's not, it doesn't happen. No one has that capacity. Exactly. No one has that ambition, that drive. I mean, I am a, I, I love Dana, but Dana at this point isn't doing a fraction of what Vince does. No and way. Look where Vince is at, look how much money he's made, and he could totally check out and own an island and not even check in on the product. That's not Vince McMahon. Right. Now, you tell me, because you're part of this uh, wrestling revolution, I would say, where you know people are talking about this boom period that is existing outside of WWE. Not to say WWE isn't doing well, but to say that everything outside of WWE is doing a lot better than it has in, in quite some time. You know, it's just super, super healthy outside of WWE. Do you think... Even though you're in that boat that the WWE deserves more credit than it gets in terms of mainstreaming pro wrestling? Like, do you think that some of the overall health of the industry can be credited to the mainstreaming, which is the work of WWE? Or would you not go that far? I think WWE, I mean, sustained wrestling when you had the scorched earth thing in the post-2001 era. And they sustained wrestling for and generated a whole batch of wrestling, generation and a half now, two generations of wrestling. After Turner went down, all you had all these pretenders to the throne that never uh, materialized. So uh, they certainly kept it afloat. I mean, Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes were in WWE. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I mean, before anywhere else. I wouldn't be in wrestling today uh, had I not had that critical time where I got my master's degree in wrestling from Vince McMahon and WWE. And how many years were you there for? Uh, 05 to the end of 07. Which is a lifetime. Uh, yeah, it's for like people dog in that years. position. It's like yeah, dog yeah. years. Yeah, when you're on the creative team, it's like dog years. And, and, and uh, you look at a guy like Michael Hayes, who's been in that uh, that world for so long in the creative end, and it's like, wow. And then you think about Pat Patterson mm-hmm. you know, from the 80s to the 2000s. It's like, oh, my God. Or your guy Bruce Pritchard. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Bruce is a great example of that. You know, 23, cons- you know, more or less consecutive years. <laughs> a, few, a few sabbaticals. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's they, they kept it and they sustained wrestling because – Without WWE, I don't know what it would have turned into mm-hmm. in the last you know fifteen years. Uh, I also think they're kind of the what they don't offer because they're so big. They're kind of like McDonald's. You know, they're mm-hmm. accessible. They're everywhere. They're affordable. But there's also that audience that wants you know uh, glucose free product. They want something sure. organic. They want something else. Sure. And McDonald's can't provide that. And I think that's what's cropped up in the last few years. And uh, it, 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 and it runs the gamut. You know, you have New Japan, you have MLW, you have uh, Ring of Honor, you have Impact, and you have all these other companies in the UK and elsewhere, and AAA and Arena Mexico. It's amazing. And now within a few clicks, you can access all of it. Mm-hmm. That was the big game changer, I think, that enabled. Technology is always going to be the big bang, I think, for wrestling to start to surge. With cable, it happened in the late 70s, early 80s. It's just going to always be there to help things along and it's weird because wrestling fans seem to be more tech savvy than most fans like they're going to find that tech first and use it yeah uh and that's because they're so content hungry right yeah yeah Yeah. and it's just like they're gonna they're gonna find it and it's i think that's you look at boxing yeah mma they're not like that Mm -mm. it's it's very unique to wrestling it's very cool guys you know by now the ticket buying process is complicated listen to court bauer there's so many shows going on all over the place now in this world of pro wrestling but figuring out how to get the best tickets and knowing that you're not getting ripped off becomes more and more difficult every day well there's all kinds of sites varying levels of reliability seat geek seat geek is the way to go, and I'll tell you why. SeatGeek, you see, searches multiple ticket sites and grades every ticket based on value. So whether you want to go to a wrestling show, a baseball game, a football game, football's back, you can go to these games. You can go to a comedy show, a Broadway show, a concert that's going to be near you or far from you. Figure out your transportation, but SeatGeek is going to get you in the building, and here's how they do it. I have it on my phone. It's so easy to use. I go on, honestly, I use SeatGeek just to figure out what's happening in the area. Just if there's anything that I want to see that I shouldn't. You don't have to miss these concerts. You ever listen to the radio and they're like, oh, J. Cole was at Madison Square Garden the other night. And you go, I didn't know J. Cole was in town. Well, if you had SeatGeek, you could just turn it on every now and then, scroll through your area, and it'll tell you who's in town. And if you want to go see the person, if you want to go see the event, It'll show you a seating chart. It'll show you what tickets are available. It'll grade the tickets green, yellow, red, based on value. So if you want to just get the best seat in the house, regardless of price, SeatGeek has your back. If you want to make sure that you're getting the best value price, SeatGeek has your back. My point is that SeatGeek is watching out for you, and that's because you listen to Not Sam Wrestling. SeatGeek has been our most loyal sponsor by far 
and uh, a sponsor that I hope you all support. They're great, great people over there, and they make the experience so much easier. They're so confident in their product, and I'm so confident in their product, that we are getting together, and we are giving you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code SAM, and that's it. Buy your tickets. Promo code SAM, S-A-M, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Now, back to Court Bauer. No, yeah, MMA is interesting because the majority of the fans are fine watching a pay-per-view every month. Right. And that's what they watch. That's mm-hmm. their UFC. And they'll talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And they'll t- But there's not... They just don't have that thing where wrestling fans... And that's why, like... You know, I'm I'm when Bruce started doing his podcast, I was like, "This is a great podcast." I did every podcast that Conrad has done. I've only yeah. supported it, and like you know, Edge and Christian coming along, and 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 all these guys coming along. It's like support it because wrestling fans are so content hungry that after four years of doing this. I'm still here because there's still going to be an appetite for it. Yeah, and I think for fans, too, it's like now if you've missed Steve Austin, you can get him once or twice a week. Yeah. And he's talking shop with young wrestlers, old wrestlers, and different guys. And I think that's so cool to be able to have access to someone you haven't had access to. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's what's cool, and you get to learn a lot. If you're a student of the game, there's so many people now podcasting you can learn about, the art of booking, and to have access to one of the guys, one of the guys have drawn more money than anyone in the history of the business, like Austin, and, and learn from him and learn about him, I think is fascinating. I mean, it goes back to that thing of, of getting the, the uh, emails from Paul Heyman and yeah. just reading them and learning from them, right. even though he's not teaching you, right. right? Like, even if Steve Austin is not sitting there going, here's my podcast where I teach you how to get money in wrestling. <laughs> like, you just listen to the podcast yeah. and through, like, these little things that he doesn't mm-hmm. even know he's teaching you, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's the brilliance right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and that's, I think, so cool that you have access to all this content. You can stream it, listen to it, and the appetite for wrestling is ferocious right now. Yeah. And and you got, so for me as a promoter, you have to give them something different and you gotta give the fans what they want. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like you make the matches and then sometimes you retroactively build the storylines <laughs> to it to make it work. Right, because TV. people wanna see this match. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, and totally. then I'm also doing TV every, every week on BN Sports, so you know, you got to find a way to connect that story. You're selling tickets for a match in a month, but you also got to connect it sometimes retroactively mm-hmm. to make it work episodically for national TV. Yes. Which is like, there's a lot of creative algebra going into that sometimes. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't even think of that, but you're 100% right. Now, you run shows about once a month, is that right? Yeah, every four weeks. So, is it, and I know you have guys under contract, but, I mean, with the, with the uh, quickness that guys are getting scooped up these days mm-hmm. by NXT, WWE, even New Japan to some extent, but really NXT is doing it a lot. Mm-hmm. Like Matt Riddle is probably the last casualty uh, for you guys. Um, and I say that casualty for you, obviously for him, he's doing great. Yeah. I mean, I awesome. saw him on Twitter in an NXT ring and yeah. like lost my mind. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. But um, of course, the last one was, was Phoenix and Pentagon that everybody was talking about online. Is it a major stressor for you that, like, okay, I have to build a promotion mm-hmm. and have some kind of long-term vision? Right. But at the same time, I'm using all these awesome dudes, and as they get better and better, there's really big fish that are going to want them. Well, too, I, I mean, for most of our contracts, they're two to three years. Um, so you have kind of a, a sense of, okay, where are we tracking year to year? And by that final year of your contract, all right, do we have to now 
transition away and right. t- anticipating you're not going to, and hopefully they'll just be straight up. Hey, listen, my intentions go free agent. My intentions go this cool. As long as no one's tampering. Uh, but that's go for it. Um, but you know, you got to think about wrestling too. There are guys who you're going to make your franchise guys, but then there's, you got to freshen things up. And that's what I'm doing right now. This week I've been looking at our roster and where is it going to be in 2019? Because mm-hmm. if TV 52 weeks, you can't have the same faces all the time right. or it's going to be like, okay, 60 minute show it starts to get a little tired and we run out of fresh opponents. So there's guys I want to cycle in and guys I want to cycle out. Like the territory days. Yes. 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 And so like this, we're going to be bringing in a big star and we're going to announce him uh, on Thursday to our house in New York at that's the Melody's Ballroom. And I'm excited for that one. And that's going to pop things off. That's going to be real fresh. I think Are people going to be surprised, excited. I hope. Yes. I mean, he's certainly a guy that everyone knows. So it's, I think it's going to be exciting. And, you know, we always have variety in our shows. You know, we have the new era guys. We have some guys from Lute, from, from the Lucha Libre end from Mexico. We have guys like Jimmy Havoc from the UK. You get PCO and La Parca. PCO and La Parca. This, <laughs> the original, and that's the funny thing because people don't, they're like, is this the real La Parca? Which one is this? Because there's been some fake ones in AAA. There's a million of them. This is the original one. The guy from WCW, the badass. Uh, yeah, because so so, what's the deal with that? He yeah. had to, he lost the because he's technically now billed. The original La Parca is billed as L.A. Park. L.A. Park, yep. But this is the guy who, the chairman of WCW, the chairman of WCW. He was in MLW in 02 and 03. Uh, he's been running, he's been running rough shot all over Mexico, selling out the arena Mexico with Rush. Uh, doing a hell of a lot of business in just the last year. I mean, just he's been on a tear. Why did he have to change his name? He had left AAA, and uh, Antonio Pena was very forward-thinking, which you have to be as a promoter to be successful, and he trademarked a theme that's continued. Antonio to did, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he trademarked all of his signature characters, Octagon, La Parca, et cetera. So. Well, because I guess even more in, in AAA, theoretically, it's a mask, right? You yeah. put another guy under the mask, yeah. and you can maintain the character. Pena is the closest thing. I never met him, but from working with the Roldan family, that's the, his uh, family, and as well as Conan, you get a sense there. He was very much a kindred spirit with, like, Vince. Mm-hmm. He created the intellectual property. He trademarked it. He merchandised it, and he owned it. And so when L.A. Park had a falling out, he still used La Parca. And they ended up in litigation over it, and ultimately he had to just adjust it a little bit to L.A. Park. Now he's L.A. Park. LA, yeah, and he still will go back now to AAA. He was just there recently. So As L.A. Park. Yeah, well, that's wrestling. I mean, wrestling look, is amazing. Brock Lesnar in WWE. Yeah. It's just like that. Eric Bischoff in WWE. Absolutely. It's just like, you you know, it's, it's a business. What's, yeah. what's the right move for business for you and for them? And it really is fun to be in 2018 when a match like that like LA Park and PCO yeah who PCO is 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 Quebec or Pierre like <laughs> the idea that both these guys like if you told me in you know 97 we got La Parca versus Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Yeah you Man know you'd be like show New York City right you'd be like what do you why what what but now it's like whoa that's happening I gotta see that yeah and I mean I think even like we did a show uh, a few weeks ago in Fort Lauderdale and the PCO came out and the crowd was lukewarm and they started brawling with Brody King and they're like oh this is a crazy match doing crazy stuff then all of a sudden uh, PCO climbs to the top rope. Brody's outside with a bunch of referees and officials, and he moonsaults to the outside of the ring onto Brody <laughs> King and onto all these guys. And everyone's like, "Oh my god, this guy's amazing! Yeah. Where's he been?" <laughs> and so he's been phenomenal. And to see his resurgence in 2018, it, it, there's a lot of parallels between LA Park and, and PCO. Definitely, this year. definitely, it's a perfect matchup. Yeah, like they they are built like brick 
you know houses uh, <laughs> and and like they're just they they are really still good and they're heavyweight brawlers yeah and and they're i think they're gonna have a hell of a match and uh they're gonna close out that show and i think it's gonna be are they gonna close out they got to that's I mean, awesome after that how do you follow know, it how do you right? follow it i'm um, so that's that's our absolutely our last match to go on uh and those two beasts are gonna be a lot of fun to see what they do in there that's so great <laughs> so going back to what we were saying before yeah. so like uh do you have and I, i'm gonna use pentagon as an example mm-hmm. only because he's like I'm one of my, if not my favorite guy outside of WWE right now. And I'm just like, if I was, you know, if I had free will and I was like, who's the next guy to come to NXT? I'm like, get Pentagon right now. And honestly, put him on the main roster and have him with uh, with Andrade and do a thing. But whatever. That's that's me, you know, diving into ridiculous fantasy booking. Um, but does somebody like that who, like, realizes, like, whoa, I went from, like, nice little buzz, Lucha Underground, to, like, I'm super hot right now. Yeah. Does a guy like that ever come to you and go like, Court, you know, I know we signed this three-year deal, but like, I'm super hot right now. No, I, they're really happy. All of our, first of all. And like, I don't, again, I'm not yeah. just talking about Pentagon. I'm talking about, does that, is that a conversation that you worry about that happens? If it happens, it happens. Right. Like Vince would say, he'd have guys going to him and You're right. say, listen, I want, I can do big things somewhere else, or I just want to leave. You're not paying me enough. And he's like, listen, if you're not happy, go. Mm-hmm. I mean... Now, you could point to a few occasions where he'd tell them to their contract, perhaps, <laughs> but he doesn't want people around, and Bruce has said this on his podcast, and it's true, he doesn't want people around that aren't happy, and, and then they become malcontents, and that's contagious. Mm-hmm. If I have a malcontent, he's gone. Gotcha. Uh, I, so, you know, I want everyone to be contributing. I want to be positive. You want that enthusiasm because it's infectious, and it brings up the work level, and you see it in the ring. When the, when the bell rings, you see it. Uh, so if, if a guy were to come at me, you know, it depends from a business decision what we need and where they're at. Um, but the one thing I wouldn't, if I sense tampering, I, I would, you know, that would be a problem. Well, yeah, you can't. That's, that, and that's always going to be a thing. There's been a lot of fast and loose with that. And that's the, that's the danger zone for us. You know, if it's done the right way, your contract's ending. You know, fine. It is what it is. It yeah, is that's the business. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you just sign in a month later, like, uh, I don't know what to do here. Uh, they want me now. I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. We, <laughs> you sign. You sign. Like. But we haven't, I mean, that's a hypothetical. <laughs> we haven't had that. Like, our guys are really happy. And what we do with our deals is you know, they're on national TV. They're in 55 million households every Friday. It gives them exposure. allows them to get booked anywhere and everywhere. And get if they're hot, they're going to get hotter from that. Uh, but we also allow them, it's, it's open borders. Go work and you do TV for Ring of Honor, Impact, Lucha Underground. Mm-hmm. Go to AAA, take all those bookings you can. Go to New Japan. Uh, Brian, so it's very open. Yeah, like Brian Pillman Jr., like uh, we've had some brief conversations about him going to the New Japan Dojo, and I think it would be beneficial, and we have a long-term deal with him, so I'm not worried about that. Uh, I think it's a win-win for for all parties, and so that makes if that makes sense, and we can make that happen, I think Pillman there would be fantastic. So the deal's generally like because uh, that's another one, like Brian Pillman Jr. I'm mm-hmm. just like I feel like throughout this year. Every month, the buzz just starts rolling. Like, at first, it's just, like, stuff on Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, I hear about this guy again. I hear, and then the promos start popping up, and then he becomes a pretty big fixture on MLW. And it's like, I just I just feel like that's a name that really built this year, and I feel like over the next year, he's going to be one of those guys that everybody starts talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do the deals generally work where you go and do whatever you want, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But... 
you have to come to all our shows. Yeah, we have priority. You know, don't miss TV. You know, go it's once every four yeah, weeks. Yeah, so go so, do your thing. But here's the schedule. Yeah. And if we're gonna, if we add to the schedule, rock on. You're now making more money, doing probably more TV, doing more of this. Gotcha. But we want you to fill up your dates. A guy like Pillman needs to be working as much as possible. Yes. You know, I'm not telling you, hey, do us and just stay, sit at home. Go to the UK. Go work for Rev Pro. Go work uh, in Mexico. Go work in Japan. Go work in Germany. Go so work on, in Jersey. Yeah. Any any <laughs> yeah. any organization that would be as open as you are. Yeah. Go go, go have at it. Be safe. Learn. And, and the more systems you're exposed to, the better you're going to become. You'll learn from different people, different things. The weird thing about wrestling, though, is you have a lot of people giving you feedback. Uh, a lot of random promotional bookings. Hey, that was a great match. And then you, uh, they'll come back and they'll work for us. And I'm like, what the hell was that you just did out there? Oh, that, man, I've been doing that on the indies. It's really good. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's like, don't just get, don't, if you don't believe me, you know, talk, talk to Low Key, talk to Conan backstage, mm-hmm. who's an agent with us now, talk to Bruce, talk to Dreamer, talk to Callahan, get, get a collective sense for us because sometimes a lot, there's so many promoters, there's so many, quote unquote bookers but they're not really giving you qualified feedback sometimes gotcha so you got to be careful because then you got to break these guys of these habits they pick up over the next few weeks and then but they have to learn that now because they don't learn that now and they go to wwe and they just get a little bit of momentum then everyone's going to be in their ear and backstage but you want to be selective with who you take feedback from yes because if you're taking feedback from a perennial curtain jerker over that of like the undertaker Mm, I've, and I've seen that happen, and it's horrible because a guy has momentum, and he's like, "Yeah, but this guy's saying this, and I don't know if Taker's right." I'm like, "Who drew money? Right? Who, who's had this like?" But non- you just listen to the advice that you want. Like, I want to do what that guy said. So I mean, I don't know if Taker knows what. And it's like, yeah. what? Yeah, it's like no, no. They listen to the guys had the 30 year run. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that's weird too is like you know, there it's familiarity. You're maybe you're driving with the guy that's the curtain jerker, so you just he's your buddy, and the other guy, right. He doesn't really get me. He doesn't know me, mate. It's it's insane, but always that's a, such an important thing is when you're young you don't realize there's different types of feedback there's quality feedback and then there's the ignorant feedback you got to be careful with that and you don't yeah. know until you're kind of just mature right and it's so hard to know that you know and and to know okay well maybe that, guy, that guy's just telling me to slow down well there's more to it you know and and different feedback means different things you know, i had one guy that was like doing uh, one spot and he's all of a sudden a tough mma guy and then he's doing he's like this like begging off Ric Flair, Ted DiBiase thing. I was like, wait, you did like five things in this match. It's like totally schizophrenic. What's your persona? I have an idea, but you tell me what you thought of that, how that, how that played to the audience. Mm-hmm. And so the, the wheels will start turning. And cause I don't want the, the last thing you want to see from a young guy is the yeah, buts. Yeah, but no, just think right, about just... it. And, and I, cause I'm, we're all here to build you up. We don't want to see you fail. Uh, there's no reason to sabotage you. We're just trying to give you perspective. We want you to understand. Um, and that's one of the challenges you have. You have all this great indie wrestling, but sometimes the guys just, they, they, there's certain things they just aren't quite equipped to learn until they've been in a bigger system. Right, of yeah. course, and interacted with more people and yeah. been around that. I had uh, Joey Janela down here right after All In. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, a couple weeks after that, he goes and jumps off a ring onto Psychosis. and. Yeah. His knee is where his elbow is, and it just like he's going to be out. He says possibly for the better part of a year. Like it's tough, especially in the position that he's in as a promoter booker. Janelle is one of your guys. Yeah. Do you go like, well, 
There goes that. There, there goes those, those planes. No, I, you, first of all, you feel for the guy. Yeah. When I saw, I woke up. I saw someone had sent me the video on text. It's a classic promoter. You're going to get the worst news late at night or first thing in the morning. And, <laughs> uh, I always dread looking at my iPad when I wake up. I'm looking at. It, I'm like, oh no, I knew it was bad. And I went, oh man. I checked in with Joey, and then you know, kind of wait until he went through the test that Monday. And you feel for a guy because he's been in, he's not like, uh, maybe people don't realize he's been around for a bit. Yes, and he so is. he's just starting to generate that critical momentum and there's a lot of interest and curiosity about him and a lot of enthusiasm. Especially after that all-in match. Yeah, and then, well, you know what, though? I saw him days later, he was in Fort Lauderdale yeah. and I saw him Yeah, that's right. He, he, you know what he did? He did all-in, yep. he was back here for like a day, he came here, and then he was going to Florida for yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and I saw him and he was kind of limping in the lobby. I said, hey man, how you feeling? He goes, nah, I'm hurting. And that was before, you know, and he had a, I would say a, a, a pretty tame brawl with Tom, uh, Tom Lawler at our show, and it, it wasn't like you know he was getting really dinged up. I didn't need that from him for that match. I didn't want that. Um, but then you see, you know, he always goes two hundred percent into things, and that was just a freak thing that happened, you know. Yeah. And and you know, I know he was pretty dinged up going in, but you know, now he has time. The thing that he has is an opportunity. Now that he's on the shelf for some period of time—six months, eight months, ten months, twelve months—who knows? But I look at a guy like Dwayne Johnson who wasn't clicking. And he had, I think, a separated shoulder or some sort of injury. He was out for like six months, uh, 97-ish. And he sat and he just watched tape. He watched his own matches. He watched who was connecting and why they were connecting over that period where he was down. When he came back, it was like the light bulb had gone off. Yeah. And his IQ was through the roof. Yeah. He always had it. He was a blue chipper. But he came back, he was a different man and a different set of eyes. So with Joey down, now he can maybe see... Okay, how can he continue to level up? It's a great advantage. Take that time and use it and, and enhance yourself. Yeah, you know, and what, I think that applies to any level because, you know, you think about the, the Triple H injury. Yeah. And, like, he was already a main event guy. But I'm telling you, I've been to a lot of Madison Square Garden shows. And I was at the Raw when Triple H came back after being eight months on the shelf. Yeah. And part of it was those amazing vignettes and part of it, but the ovation that that guy got when he walked through the curtain after the injury. I still have not heard anything that loud. You know what I think he learned during that downtime? What? How to carry himself like a main eventer. Because he yeah. was always like that knocking on that door. But when he came back, the second he walked out, every move just screamed, I'm somebody. Yeah. I'm a main eventer. And it wasn't pandering. He wasn't begging for it. He just knew he was. And that, you, you watch the pre-injury, post-injury. That guy came back with a serious swagger. Yeah. And that, that to me, is what gave me goosebumps. It's giving me goosebumps now thinking yeah. about me that. Me too. Moment. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, because you're 100% right. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's the, that's what, he, that's what he probably figured out is the tiny, tiny details mm -hmm. in that, like, it's not about making sure that you win the title, it's about the second the eyes are on you until the second the eyes are no longer on you. Every moment present yourself the way you want to be perceived it's it's how it, it's the rhythm of your breathing it's where your eyes are it's your body language it's if you're relaxed it's every little subtle thing and it's all it's like with that stuff it's very holistic it's all interconnected and when it connects it's dynamite for a guy like triple h mm -hmm. and, and he's never lost it you know he when he came back it was a, a truly was a new era. And yeah, that, that wasn't hype. It really was. He had re-engineered himself in a bigger, grander sense. You know, speaking of guys who uh, uh, 
have re-engineered themselves. I mean, you hear, not recently, but, you know, maybe even a decade ago, but in the years that have passed, you hear stories about Conan. You hear stories about Teddy Hart. You know, there's a bunch (laughs) of guys. You hear some stories about Loki. Like, there's a bunch of guys on your roster that do have histories, various stories throughout the... Bad boys. (laughs) But it seems like they're family at MLW shows. Well, yeah. Do you think that that's because they've matured in general? Do you think it's something about the show itself that you're putting on? I think it's also because I can relate to them because I think I've also had some some interesting stuff in my background and even MSL, there's like that notorious side to you. So there's a little bit where you can relate to the guys, but you also can speak to them on a different level. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a kindred spirit thing there. Um, You know, with Conan, it's like a guy that I met he like it was like 2011 on LinkedIn. He just reached out to me, Charles Ashenoff. I was like, "This is random. Is this really, is this really that Conan? What? This is random." So I was, I was curious. I said, like, "Oh, this is probably a fan, but okay, I'll accept." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yo, man, uh, long time never talked to you." And we start. We got on the phone once, and we talked for like four hours, and we we never met, never crossed paths. We became like best friends, and ever since then. Uh, it's been great. I've worked with him in AAA, Lucha Underground, and now in MLW. It's it's really cool. We've done the podcast thing. So that's cool. And then Teddy, you know, I was the crazy guy that convinced Vince to inexplicably hire him, along with, at that time, this is 07, uh, Harry, uh, David Boy Smith Jr., of course. TJ, Natty. And originally that was going to be the Hart Foundation uh, and the Hearts versus Sean and his students from the Texas Wrestling Academy. Uh, Paul London, Spanky, Brian Kendrick. Um, I was recruit. I just wanted them to recruit Daniel Bryan, and then you have Sean, and then you have Hunter, and you have Shane and Vince versus Brett and all the other guys, and maybe the eccentric Uncle Jim. Uh, and we got to the point where we signed them, and they were in uh, the Florida system, and uh, had MSL kind of like taking care of Teddy Hart and making sure everything was copacetic. And then I left WWE, and. Uh, Everyone but Teddy stayed, and then Teddy kind of went in a different direction. Uh, Teddy today, uh, he's definitely more grounded, and I think he has perspective today that he didn't have back in the day. Um, and I can speak to him very honestly, unlike mm-hmm. probably any other guy, because I've known him for so many years. Like, dude, let's not screw this up. Let's let's keep our, our, our eye on the prize and just have faith. Trust the system. Trust the process. And uh, it's the hearts have gotten over they're our biggest act um the hottest selling shirt in the history of mlw uh, i mean pillman davy boy and teddy there's something about them uh they each have a different quality different personality different strengths different weaknesses but they're the classic trio that you know it's like animal and hawk separately i don't think they would have been perennial main eventers mm-hmm. but together they were something special and i see that in a different way in the hearts so you've got you know, when you look down at, like, who's on the show, of course, we talked about PCO and LaParca, but right. you've got David Boy Smith Jr. and Teddy Hart. You've got uh, uh, guys of that generation. Then you've got the super buzzed about guys, Pentagon, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. But you've also got this whole crop of guys, the Shane Stricklands, mm-hmm. the 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 uh, uh, Lawlers, the... the, the uh, Brian Pillman Jr. It's like yeah. the... Selena De La Renta is a yes. huge star in the making. Right. Mm-hmm. The, all the... Who... Let's say MLW blows up. Mm-hmm. Hunter calls you up. He goes, Court, come on home. <laughs> but you go to NXT and he's like, who do we need? 
who do we need right now? Not in a year from now. Mm-hmm. Not you know maybe maybe you could tell me who we need in a year from now. But who who do we need now? Who do you think? And I know that you probably don't even want to say because you're like <laughs> I want them in MLW. Why yeah. would I want them elsewhere? But who do who do you think for people who might not watch MLW on a regular basis that they should watch these people and know? I mean they're NXT ready yeah. now. Yeah. Well, it's like certain acts uh, just in that institutional setting are not going to work. The right. bad boys don't work, and they can't be who they truly are in that setting. It's just it's never going to mesh well. Uh, there are the guys that I think that could ascend and do well. Um, I look at a guy like Shane Strickland. I think he would definitely do very well in the system. Um, guys like ACH also would do very well. I'm surprised the guy hasn't gotten a look because he can cut a promo. You know, mm-hmm. he, I just watched one that's going to air this Friday for us on Fusion, and dude, is he can cut a real good promo. Uh, and he's got charisma, and he can go in the bell ring. It's like he checks off all the boxes, yeah. and he's, you know, he's, he's built like a, like a, he would tell you, he's, he's maybe not built like a, like, like a football player, but I'm like, man, he is, combu- like, he's like a, he's a good runner, he's got the muscle on him. He, he's a great attraction. Um, guy like Jason Cade, you know, I think has a lot of upside that a lot of people are sleeping on right now. Guy like Rhett Giddens, he's like six three, jacked up. Uh, dude has a great look. Does a crazy version of the Razor's Edge, which I love. Uh, those are great guys. Um, you know, Tom Lawler. Uh, he's he's got a, a mix of the Roddy Piper promo in him, that little defiant wise ass thing. Yeah, uh, a little bit of CM Punk in him too. Uh, he's he's phenomenal. I'm a big phenomenal. Tom Lawler fan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like I look at who I'm building around in the next 12 months. He's one of the guys. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got it, and you know, he's a guy that's down to do media, and he's great at it. Um, he's doing serious this week, and he does stuff for BN all the time. And I'll just have him go out there, and I know I he's not going to say anything insane, crazy, or otherwise. We're in good shape. Um, you know, and one of the secret weapons I have, and the, one of the first guys I signed uh, was Tony Schiavone. And right. That was huge for us because he started with the podcast with Conrad. And I thought, okay, we're going to do, and originally MLW is just going to be one back, one show back to like celebrate the new generation of wrestling. And then that was it. Wale and MSL convinced me I could do it. All right, I'll do it. And then I'm done. And then within three weeks, I'm sitting down having network meetings about a national TV deal, <laughs> which was like, oh my God. Uh, so, you know, looking back, it was, uh, it was totally by design something different and i said to tony hey let's do one time i'll it won't be a big deal trust me and if you don't feel it we can always, it's in post-production we can sweeten it and he goes oh all right i'll do it for you as a favor and i could tell like i knew by the time we we're doing our first show that we were going to be coming back and we had it already locked in to come back and, and do another show so i right in between matches i went up and told tony hey we're coming back with another show i want you to do it you okay he had so much adrenaline he's like you got it. Let me check my schedule, but hundred percent. And he was in. And then like a week later, he called me. He's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do it. I'm, not. I'm like, Tony, no, no, you got to come back. I convince him. I beg with him. I think I cut a promo and wouldn't let him talk for 30 minutes on the phone. And then he just, I think he just forfeited the, all right, I just want to get this guy off the phone. I'll do the show. He came back. And then, you know, a few months later, he's still doing it. And I said, Hey, Tony, what if we did weekly TV? <laughs> and, and so now he's doing, he's hosting wrestling again. You have him back doing weekly wrestling. Yeah. And it's, it's been wonderful having him with Rich and uh, of course, Rich Brennan in NXT, now Rich Bokini. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun having Tony back in there. And I, I think it's, 
And for a lot of people, it's a voice from their childhood. And a lot of people think MLW is very retro because, because they're hearing that voice. Just like I think they saw Joey Styles, who was part of the original MLW, and thought, oh, it's so ECW. Because mm-hmm. they connect the voice with what they remember from that league they loved. Uh, but Tony's a different Tony in 2018 than he was in 98 or 94. And I think now it's like it's been really cool because he gets to write a new chapter in his legacy in wrestling. And I think it's a very positive one because he's enjoying himself. And we don't ask a lot. He'll tell you we ask a ton, but you know, it's, it's one day a month, you know, and it's, 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 he's, he's, you can still do outside stuff for University of Georgia and the Braves and stuff. And, as long as he's having fun, you know, we're happy to have him. But he was one of the first guys. I was like, oh, God, I got to sign this guy yeah. ASAP. And uh, we're really happy with him. He's done great for us. Is there any story about, because uh, I, I just thought of it, what happened with MVP? Because for a while he was doing a podcast on your network and, yeah. and, and doing a bunch of stuff with you. And then he kind of, didn't he tweet at some point like, hey, I'm not involved in that anymore. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, why? Yeah, there was accumulation of things, and you know, I go back years with the guy, and he was an agent behind the scenes in MLW, and he was part of the revival. Um, but you know, you, certain circumstances come up, and you know, it was a very difficult call I had to make, and it wasn't easy. And uh, he was shocked, and it sucked. It sucks for both of us. You know, that was not something I had any desire to have to do. Um, certainly not. You know something i look back on and and uh was thrilled with because it's you're, you're saying you're hitting the pause button on someone that you know you you wanted to be a part of this but circumstances and situations had led us down this path and uh you know he's incredibly talented you know and i, I think you know you look and he's certainly busy to this day doing different things um and uh you know i, I I'm very fond of the guy, you know, and it's the hard part when you're doing business with friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a lot of friends I'm doing business with right now. So it's like... In the beginning, you're just giving them opportunity. This is great. But then it yeah, comes time to actually do business. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, that's like, that's when it sucks. Yeah. And that's when like, you know, it's like you're just miserable the rest of the, the week. And, you know, you, you want to kick out from feeling like that. But you're like, man, this sucks. And it's like, it's a double-edged sword when you do business with friends. And it's not always like great and high fives when you have something like this happen so uh you know it's to this day it's like it's not an easy for me easy thing for me to talk about because you know it was what i would consider a fairly shitty situation mm-hmm. um and you know i just wish him the best and you know i don't know i'm never gonna you know knock him or anything I, I really think i was very fond of his contributions and i owe him a lot he really helped get mlw up and running and, uh, you know, I, there's certainly days when I think, uh, man, I wish we wish things had been different. I would have loved to have had a homecoming for him in Miami and South Florida and had him in war games, which was the original design. So it's like you definitely, you know, you have to live with those decisions and, you know, the the frustrations of what happened that led to that. Yeah. Well, look, this podcast comes out on Thursday. So uh, if you're in New York and you're listening the morning it comes out, then tonight yep. you're in Queens. Yep. Uh, uh, MLW is live. But for everybody that's listening around the world, I usually catch up on the MLW YouTube channel. Right. Where you can get their you know weekly TV. You can go back if you haven't been watching. You can find the War Games match. You can find the uh, uh, Battle Riot, mm-hmm. which yep. was a super fun match to <laughs> yes. watch. Um 
and a whole bunch of stuff. But where where can they get you uh, beyond YouTube? Yeah, you can watch us on BN Sports on Friday nights, 8 o'clock, and then they have a replay usually around 11 o'clock. Number one and number two rated show on BN Sports for Friday nights. Our replay beats everything but our original run of the show, which is crazy. Uh, and you can watch us 605 Saturday nights on YouTube.com slash Major League Wrestling because Tony at 605 on Saturday nights just feels right. Right. And we, what we do for that version is we give it kind of a supersized director's cut version. We'll add stuff we couldn't fit into the BN show, which is only an hour. So, you know, you get the full match, uh, some bad language once in a while. One time, Joey Janelle might have done something MJF's locker room involving a condom that had to be censored <laughs> by the network that you'd see in, in its full raw state, uh, so to speak, on YouTube. But if you want to learn more, go to MLW.com, uh, Facebook.com slash Major League Wrestling, and Twitter, MLW. Uh, and check us out tonight at the Melrose Ballroom, $20 tickets, and uh, it's going to be a, a huge night. And I'll tell you, we're going to have at least one, maybe two, maybe three surprises. So Amazing. check it out. By the way, MJF is another one. How wild is it how good he is, as <laughs> well, young as he is? You know, it's funny because I was talking to, we had uh, WWE folks at a show several months ago, mm-hmm. and they were backstage just talking, and they said, hey, how old is MJF? He's 26? I was like, no, dude, he's 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has that level of experience. Not that he looks it, but the, his poise when we're talking about Hunter. I mean, I blinked. I, I knew him when he was like training. Yeah. And then the next thing I know, I'm turning around and I'm like, he's there already. Right, right. He's already, he's figured it out. Yeah. I mean, he is, he has unlimited potential. And he was actually the first male wrestler we signed. Uh, Celine De Laurenta was the first female and MJF was the first male. And those were like, I knew I could build around those two in different ways. Yeah. They had unlimited potential and they have more than exceeded my expectations. They are two to watch in 2018, 2019 and beyond. They got it. And they're both 21, 22, which is crazy. Amazing. Yeah. The only, you know what the only thing I would change about MJF is? I would shave his face clean. <laughs> yeah. He has these like mutton yeah. chop things going and I'm like, it'd be way more obnoxious if you're totally clean shaven. And yeah. also it, like there's something about being clean shaven that when you tell somebody you're better than them, it's like it, it hurts more. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? I always tell him, go more preppy and go the Vineyard Vines route. Right. And in fact, we even played with that with him getting a Vineyard Vine sponsorship, which if you know what Vineyard <laughs> Vines is, that's yeah. real heat. Yeah, that's that's legitimate heat. <laughs> Corp Bauer, it's always a pleasure, man. Thank you always for uh, hanging. Hey, thank you, man. For sure. Here is Sam Roberts. Great guest. Great guest is Court Bauer uh, here on the podcast. It's been a while since he was on, but uh, uh, really fun catching up with him, and I'm glad he had the time in his day to make time for Not Sam Wrestling. Um, And check out MLW. Check out everything that's going on in this wild, wild wrestling world. There was actually a couple of things I wanted to talk to you guys about. One was a thought that I had. As I was talking to Court Bauer, you know, I was talking about a bunch of different uh, independent guys, a bunch of different up-and-coming superstars and like Joey Janela for example a few weeks ago I loved having him on the show I loved having him down in the Not Sam studio and over the past several weeks it's really got me to thinking and it and it got me to thinking heavily as I was talking to Court Bauer that as much as I love talking to the biggest stars in the world of sports entertainment the WWE superstars and as much as that will never end right I will always have big WWE guests on this podcast because I like that, and I think it's something that you guys enjoy. Um, I would like to know if there is an interest in me starting to maybe focus a little bit more than I already am on the up-and-comers. You know, on the, let's just say, the Joey Janela class, 
And I don't mean that to say that Joey Janela is uh, better than anybody. I mean that to say Joey Janela most recently was on this podcast. But if you are interested in guys, you know, some of these guys might be guys you've never, you haven't heard of yet. Some of these guys you you will have heard of, but somebody else hasn't heard of. If if you are interested in me getting guys on that are maybe earlier in their careers but have a pretty solid buzz about them, I'm talking about the MJFs of the world. I'm talking about the Brian Pillman Juniors of the world. I'm talking about uh, uh, the guys that, that we talked about with Court Bauer and beyond, you know. You look over at Impact and, and maybe the Falabaz of the world, maybe the Kevin Matthews of the world. Maybe, you know, there's, there's, there's a ton of people that are out there that um, could benefit from the exposure of this podcast. And I think that we, me as the interviewer and you guys as the listeners, could really benefit from their stories and from what they're doing and from hearing what life is like uh, from that perspective in the world of wrestling right now. So if that's something you're interested in, hit me up on social media or email me at notsamwrestling at gmail.com and let me know. Or, you know, be candid with me. If you're not trying to hear the up-and-comers, if you're trying to hear, if you're here for star power, tell me that too. You know, I, I, I want to know, and I want to give you guys exactly what you want out of this Not Sam Wrestling podcast. The whole point of Not Sam Wrestling is that we're building a community around the show. That's what I'm trying to do over at Patreon. That's what I'm trying to do even outside of Patreon, just with this show, is build a sense of community where it's all about just being fans of wrestling. And on that note... um, the conversation about ratings came up again this week, and we talked about it last week in the state of wrestling, uh, that the ratings were down last week, and they were down again this week. Very low ratings for Monday Night Raw. And I've got to say that we are not living in the Monday Night War era anymore. You guys have to understand, how, not you guys as in all the listeners, but, but my personal opinion is, and you're right, no you guys, here's my opinion. I think that there is far too much emphasis on television ratings and that that emphasis is really a holdover from the Monday Night War. The Monday Night War is the first time that television ratings had any merit at all in the world of professional wrestling because it was a clear metric that could tell you who was doing better when WWE and WCW were running head to head. Before that was happening, nobody paid any attention to television ratings in wrestling. They paid attention to pay-per-view buys. They paid attention mainly to ticket sales and some attention to merchandise. In the world that we live in now, you know, there's no doubt about it. WWE has become a far more structured, far more corporate place. And when you are a publicly traded company and you are a corporate place, the bottom line of your company is in one spot, and that is the share price of your stock. And I know that we're getting away from wrestling, but if we're going to talk TV ratings, then we get into a conversation about business. And while, yes, you want to have WWE having the biggest TV ratings of anyone, yes, WWE is not a television company. WWE is an entertainment company. You could say they're a wrestling company, but they're not. They're an entertainment company. The bottom line of WWE is in its stock price. Do you not think that Fox, one of the biggest television outlets in the world, has access to all of these ratings? The ratings going down is not brand new over the last two weeks. You don't think that the research has been done? Fox valued SmackDown, which gets lower ratings than Raw, 
as a billion dollar show. They paid a ton of money and they're giving WWE network TV time because they think SmackDown has that big of a value for their platform. And SmackDown's ratings are worse than Raw's ratings. Why would a TV company do that? The answer is because TV companies know more about this stuff than we do. When WWE is signing deals like that, when WWE is filling up stadiums for WrestleMania and beyond, they're moving Royal Rumble into a baseball stadium. They're running twice this year in Saudi Arabia. They're running in a stadium in Australia. Like when WWE is doing the level of business that WWE is doing, you can't sit here and tell me that WWE is in trouble. And you can, you can sit there and say, Sam, you're being a shill again. Vince McMahon pays, signs your paychecks. And no, that's not true. Vince doesn't actually sign the paychecks. He's aware of them, though, and he's aware that I am receiving one. And that's true. I get paid by WWE. Doesn't matter. You don't have to get paid by WWE to figure out what's going on. All you have to do, I'm going to do it right now, right here so you guys can all hear me, okay? Yes, ratings are down, but that is being used to uh, 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 be a symbol of where WWE's business is. WWE is a publicly traded company, okay? I just opened my app up. WWE stock at the time of this recording is up again. It is trading at $92.86 a share. This is up from like 30 bucks. Where where I I I don't know how how, how stocks work, but I I'm trying to figure out this app. Okay. It's up a dollar from October 3rd. Let me see if I can, uh, uh, okay, there's one week, one month. Okay, one month, all right? September 7th, it's $86. Let's go six months, okay? Last April, April, not, not even last April, April 18th, 2018, couple weeks removed from WrestleMania, WWE is trading at $38.90 a share, okay? $38.90 a share on April 19th of this year. Today, it's trading at $92.76. The stock has gone up over 100% in April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Do you know how unheard of that is? For a stock to go from $38 to $92 in six months, the only thing that you should be mad at at WWE as a company is the fact that you, like me, did not invest in this thing. I feel, I, I'm crazy for it. If I had bought two shares, I'd have 120 bucks in my pocket right now. Free money, free money. Just for understanding that WWE as a company is not in trouble, okay? So this narrative that the WWE is in trouble, you can look at their merchandise if you want. You can look at ticket sales, which people will say are down, but they're phenomenally healthy as far as live event business goes in this day and age. WWE ticket sales are healthy, but they're trading at $92 a share. That's the beginning, middle, and end of the conversation, okay? You could talk about TV ratings if you just want to have a conversation about TV ratings and what can get TV ratings up. 
That's a perfectly fine conversation to have. But if you want to come to me, the last professional broadcaster, and you want to tell me that WWE as a company is in bad shape because ratings are down, open your stock app on your iPhone and tell me again how bad WWE is doing. You're crazy. You're crazy. Let's get into it. State of wrestling time, ladies and gentlemen, right now. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yes, it is time for the State of Wrestling, and I've got all the energy in the world, even though it's late at night and I've been doing shows all day, and uh, uh, it's just been a busy Wednesday. It's been a very, very busy Wednesday, but we will always, always have time for the State of Wrestling. Of course, if you want to see me in my state as I do the State of Wrestling, the only place to watch, to get a video of the entire State of Wrestling segment that we do from the vivacious Not Sam Studio is, of course, patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. The video of the State of Wrestling is reserved for the Not Sam shills. So if you want to be a Not Sam shill, if you want to watch the State of Wrestling, as well as the interviews that come out uh, on this podcast the day the podcast is released, as well as listen to uh, multiple bonus shows every month, as well as getting access to Q&As, as well as getting access to exclusive merchandise, as well as becoming a member of the Not Sam Wrestling community and watching every wrestling show that's on. You should see the Discord chat. Discord is an app that you just get the app on your phone and you're in this chat room that you can watch along every wrestling show. We've got Not Sam Shills in the Discord chat. I love that it's all happening. The only way to be a part of that whole community of Not Sam Shills is to sign up at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. Now let's get into it. Of course, we all know the state of wrestling by now. The top five stories of the week from the world of pro wrestling, according to yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. And we start with story number five. Story number five, uh, my hat goes off to the crowd in Seattle for Monday Night Raw on Monday. Forever. As long as I can remember. I've been saying here on the podcast, just boo the bad guys. And boo the bad guys, what that really means, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to boo every heel and blah, blah, blah. It just means... The boo the bad guys philosophy is about not being, trying to be smarter than the show. And by that, if you happen to be smarter than the show, that's fine. But when I say not trying to be smarter than the show, that's to say allowing yourself to sit back and enjoy it. There's two kinds of people in this world. There's the kinds of people that go to a magic show and enjoy the show. And there's the kinds of people that go to a magic show, sit there, try to figure out every trick that they see, and then lean over to the person next to them and goes, that's fake, I know how he does that. The first group are the group of people that boo the bad guys. The ones that just go to a magic show and enjoy all the, the amazing tricks that they see. Those are the folks that boo the bad guys. And those are the folks that are enjoying themselves. Those are the folks that are fans. Those are the folks that we're talking to for the most part, every week here on Not Sam Wrestling. And boy, did Seattle boo the bad guys. I mean, on one end, we talked about it in the bridge segment a little earlier. You talk, I mean, you know, two minutes ago, you talk about uh, uh, the ratings being down for for Monday Night Raw. Well, I would think that it's it's pretty safe to say that fan interest hasn't dissipated as Elias was able to make one comment 
about a, a former Seattle team and was just drowned with booze. And boy, did the audience play their part. I felt like the audience was just so in tune. When they realized that it was becoming a thing, they booed harder and harder. They wouldn't stop. It was almost, you know, I know Kevin Owens had to get out what he had to get out, but I was kind of surprised that he was trying to plow through it and not just allowing it to exist. I feel like it, the longer it went, the better the TV was. Um, and, 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 you know, just all around. I thought it was great. It was it was great that the, the audience acknowledged because, like, you know, if we're being honest, Elias and Kevin Owens are two of the best to do what they do. Elias and Kevin Owens, there's no way people don't like Elias and Kevin Owens. We look at those guys and we know they're main event caliber guys that are everything they do. They're going to do uh, great. And we love them. But... It's funner to boo them than it is to cheer them. And that's what the audience did. They allowed Elias and Kevin Owens to be heels. They booed them for insulting their city the way you're supposed to do to a bad guy, especially if he's doing a good job. If we see bad guys on TV, if we see bad guys in arenas, and they're doing a really good job at being a bad guy, boo them. It's the best thing you can do. I think everybody's doing a tremendous job with The Miz, allowing him to be a bad guy. If you've got a guy who's sitting there and you like him being a bad guy and he's doing a good job, give him the reaction he wants. Don't cheer. Boo. And that's what the crowd did in Seattle. I absolutely adored it. So story number five is devoted to everybody that was in the building, except the one annoying guy who I'm sure was there cheering. The one annoying guy who wanted to go against what everybody was doing. I'm sure you were there. You are not a part of this. The rest of you, hat goes off to you. You're all amazing. Story number four this week in the state of wrestling. What a week for Cody Rhodes. I feel like uh, every we, we could probably do a Cody story every single week. And it's amazing because, you know, when you leave WWE, when Cody left the way he left, that's one of those things that can easily become a news story the first week, the first month, you know, even the first year. But first year is kind of a stretch. But when you first leave and you're fresh on the indie scene and everything, everybody's excited to see you uh, and, and, and everybody's excited to see what you have to do. But for the most part, for a lot of guys, pretty quickly interest dissipates and it just kind of goes away. Because now you're just one of a lot of guys that are out there wrestling. And our focus is back on WWE. The reason there is so much much interest paid to guys who leave WWE to go independent is because so much interest was paid to them in WWE because we are so interested in what's going on in WWE. So, by that philosophy, at some point, no matter how interested we are, in these guys that leave WWE, if they don't maintain our interest, they're going to lose our interest because we're going to go back to watching WWE again. Um, Cody has defied all of it. Cody gives us something to talk about on a regular basis. And just when you think you've figured out what's going to happen, just when you think you've figured out the answer, Cody changes the question. So this week, Cody, of course, there's the big New Japan show in California. Excuse me. Big New Japan show in California. And 
Cody's wrestling on it, and he's wrestling Juice Robinson for the United States Championship. And we're just coming off of All In, and we're just coming off of he was doing Ring of Honor shows, and we, you know, there's so much going on that I think people figured that he was just kind of easing his way back in. Cody hasn't won any gold in New Japan. Cody hasn't main evented in New Japan. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm sure New Japan's going to use him. I don't think anybody expected Cody to walk in the NWA champion of the world and walk out the NWA champion of the world and the New Japan Pro Wrestling United States champion. Unbelievable. Or the IWGP, I guess, United States champion. Unbelievable for Cody. He and Juice Robinson put on an amazing match. The press conference after was incredible. If you haven't seen that video, look it up on YouTube. It's so great. I mean, it's great to the point that you look at it and you go, if Cody was to come back to WWE, how would he exist in an, in an environment that is as scripted as WWE is? I mean, if anything, he's come into his own completely as a creative person outside of WWE. You know, to go back, that's one of the main things you'd be giving up. But nevertheless, just when you think that Cody winning the U.S. championship is the biggest Cody story you're going to get this week, he then does an interview where he's all he says, you know, he doesn't he doesn't say anything beyond this, but he talks about, you know, being in Ring of Honor and his contract and everything. And by the way, I don't know what's going on with that Cody Rhodes Ring of Honor contract because we had all been led to believe that it was an exclusive deal, but somehow he's holding gold in three promotions. He's got a third of the Ring of Honor six-man championship, I believe. He's the IWGP United States champion, and he's the NWA champion. Now, Ring of Honor and New Japan have a partnership, but you know the, you would expect now Cody to be at all New Japan U.S. shows. You would expect Cody to be at all the Ring of Honor shows. And now, wherever the NWA title is getting defended, Cody's going to be there. I think uh, uh, this month, I think, is the rematch, if I'm not wrong, with Nick Aldis at the NWA 70th anniversary show. But, like, that doesn't sound all that exclusive to me. So you wonder what kind of conversations have been had between Cody and Ring of Honor. Because what Cody said in an interview this week is that it's very possible that you see the Bullet Club pop up in WWE in January. That's what he said. In January, it's very possible. Um, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. I think it wouldn't... I think now is the right time for Kenny Omega to go to WWE if he wants to go to WWE. If he never wants to go to WWE, that's fine. But if he ever wants to go to WWE, I think now is the time for Kenny to go. Spend a few years there and just see if it clicks. And if it doesn't, you know, sign a two-year deal. You can always leave and go back to New Japan. But I think now is the time for Omega to go to WWE. Um, Marty Skrull. I think Adam Page would do. doesn't have to go to WWE. He's a young guy, you know. He would do well. I think going Adam Page going to NXT would not be a bad thing at all for Adam Page. But... He's with a really good group of group of guys right now, so I wouldn't be in a rush for that. Uh, I think Marty Skrull going to NXT could be very, very interesting. You know, you wonder, you look at it and you go, okay, Marty Skrull is doing amazing. He had uh, a match that I think was even better than most people expected with Okada at All In. Uh, 
But in the Bullet Club right now, is he? does he grow? Is he going to be the leader of the Bullet Club, right? And the answer is, you'd honestly have to have Kenny Omega and Cody Rhodes leave the Bullet Club for Marty Skrull to move upward. And even if he did move upward, I know he's a singles guy, but is he bigger than the Young Bucks or do the Young Bucks become the de facto leaders and Skrull kind of stays secondary to them? Look, not that being secondary in the Bullet Club is anything to shake a stick at, you know what I mean? That's not a bad gig, but he's had the gig now for a little while. Is there more growing to do, or at some point do you have to leave the Bullet Club? And if you are leaving the Bullet Club, and I don't think he has to leave the Bullet Club, he can run this out for a while. He can coast for a while. He's doing amazingly well. But, you know, if if he is going to leave the Bullet Club at any point, I think the only place to go is WWE. I don't think it makes sense to not be in the Bullet Club and be on the Independence or be in New Japan or Ring of Honor or even Impact. You know, I think he would have to go to NXT. And I think Marty Skrull would uh, do really, really well in NXT. So I would I would say Kenny Omega main roster immediately. I would say Marty Skrull should do some serious thinking about NXT. I still, I think the Young Bucks... I still wonder if the Young Bucks will ever be as successful in WWE as they are outside of WWE. And I'm not sure that they will be, to tell you the truth. I'm just, it's a whole system over there. You heard Court Bauer talking about it. You know, there are people who will work and people who won't work. At some point, I think the Bucks have to go. I just, I don't know in what context they work in WWE. Their style is so meta and WWE is not that. So I'm not sure that it would be a great move for the Young Bucks. And honestly, I think Cody could use another year of growing and growing and growing on the independence. Like, I think Cody needs to twist the conversation. Right now, the conversation about Kenny Omega is, is this guy the best wrestler in the world? I think Cody needs to try to get himself to a place where that's the conversation that's happening about him. Is Cody Rhodes the best wrestler in the world? I think there's still room for him to grow. And he's still young. I think give it another year outside of WWE and really, really put the work in. Not that Cody wouldn't. I'm sure he would. Just keep doing what you're doing. And theoretically, you could come back to WWE and you're AJ Styles level. You know, I think if Cody goes to WWE, he runs the risk of it's a big deal when it first happens. But after enough time passes, do you just go back to where you were before? Do you just go back to being Cody Rhodes? Everybody still remembers Cody Rhodes really well. If you give it another year and truly make it undeniable, not that you aren't already, but truly make it undeniable, is it a better investment? I would say yes. If I'm Cody Rhodes, I think I'm waiting another year. Because we all saw what happened to like Neville, for instance. Coincidentally, that brings me to story number three. Neville's back. Yes, Pac. Neville is back to, he's Pac. And Pac has returned. Neville wrestled as Pac, of course, before uh, he was in NXT. And we haven't heard or seen from him, I mean, since for a year. It's been a year since anybody heard or saw from Neville in any capacity. Well, I mean, you know, in his personal life, I'm sure they saw him. But in terms of any type of public life, any type of wrestling life, he's been gone for a year. 
He popped back up this week at a Dragon Gate show. Really interesting choice, really a stand-up choice. The fact that he went back to a place where he really made a name for himself on the independence and didn't show up in Impact or Ring of Honor or New Japan or whatever. Like, he went back to a spot where he made his bones. Um, I respect that in a big, big way. He looked even more cut up than when he left. He looked like he was 0% body fat, still had the beard and everything. The crowd went nuts for him. Uh, and I, he hasn't really said much since that one spot. I, I hope that he now starts making the rounds. I hope that he really gets out there and gets after it. Because he had a nice buzz, a real nice buzz, when he came to WWE. But the buzz that he had built was in a world of non-WWE wrestling that is not nearly the size that it is today. Just a few years ago, wrestling outside of WWE was not nearly as big or as healthy as it is today. I think Neville has the opportunity to really turn some heads in outside of WWE wrestling world uh, as it exists right now. And I'm super excited to see what he does. It was good to see him, though. Speaking of big changes, story number two. And, you know, we are going to go over Super Showdown. Spoiler, that's story number one. Story number two is that Shawn Michaels is bald. We had to give this a second, a number two spot. We had to separate this entirely from the Super Showdown conversation because, you know, he cut his hair a while ago. He cut his hair short, and that's fine. But he comes out with that cowboy hat on. You know, nobody's surprised. He wears a cowboy hat all the time. His short hair is under there. We've seen it. He cut it. That's cool. Bald. Bald as a bat. Is that an expression? He's cue ball bald. He's stone cold bald. I'm looking in the ring and I'm going, Kane has a wig. Triple H is bald. Shawn Michaels is bald. I'll tell you something about the Attitude Era. A much hairier time in the world of sports entertainment. Everybody's bald. Everybody just shaved it all off. I guess Sean was thinning on top. Triple H still had a full head of hair, I think. That's what it looked like when I saw it. Thank God the Undertaker let his hair grow back because even though, you know, maybe it's not as full as it once was, it's still long and flowing and Undertaker-like. You know, otherwise it's just a ring full of bald guys. I know Kane's got hair, but it's stapled onto his mask. Really uh, uh, interesting, I, and I wonder if the rumors are true and Shawn Michaels is coming back, how do we react to a bald Shawn Michaels? How do we react to that? I think that Shawn's got to grow the beard, though. You know that big, almost like Triple H has, but you know that big, bushy hunting beard? He brought it out onto TV a couple of times. One of the pre-shows or something that he did several years ago, before I was there, he had that big, giant, bushy, hunter, outdoorsman beard. I think if you're going to, I mean, look what I'm doing. If you're going to lose it up top, you kind of got to grow it in the bottom. That's where we're at in 2018. So I would say Sean should probably grow the beard and just, you know, so that way it's not just a guy who shaved his head. That way it's a guy who's making a conscious fashion style decision. But I don't know. I'm interested to see if uh, if his hat gets knocked off again at Super Showdown because I need to live with this. I need to sit with this. The sexy boy has no hair on his head. I need to sit with this for a while. And really, I don't even know what the shape of his head looks like. He's had long hair forever. You know, it's not going to be worse than that Dutch boy haircut he had for a little while. But I'd like to know. I'd like to spend some time sitting with the shape of Shawn Michaels' hair. A head. And that's only going to happen if... 
we see him at Super Showdown with no hat on. I think it's important that all of us as wrestling fans spend some time sitting down with the shape of Shawn Michaels' head. We don't know what it is. We've been watching Shawn for as long as we've been watching him. He means the world to all of us. But we don't know what his head is shaped like. And right now, that's very important because he's a bald man. I was shocked when I saw it. I had no clue. But they don't keep me informed of when wrestlers get haircuts. They think it's a weird thing, so I don't ask. But still, it's a shocking thing. Story number one is uh, all about the place where we will see Shawn Michaels' bald head. If you would excuse me for a moment, I'm going to take another sip. Oh, yeah. And that is, of course, Super Showdown. 2018 Super Showdown. It goes down on Saturday morning. Here on the East Coast, it starts at 5 a.m. Eastern. Hit me up on Twitter and stuff. I want to know uh, where you guys are going to be watching it. And if you do want that pre-show. I mean, not the pre. I'm not doing a pre-show. But if you do want that post-show. Uh, for the Patreon listeners, uh, let me know if you think that that's something you'd be interested in. Um, but like I said earlier, I know I'll be up at 5 a.m. watching this thing in bed. I can't wait for it. Uh, let's go down some of the matches that are uh, 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 promised to us in this thing. Uh, we're going to start with Asuka and Naomi taking on the Iconics. Now, if you watched SmackDown this week, and I hope that you watched SmackDown this week, uh, we saw Peyton Royce versus uh, Asuka. And Peyton Royce looked hella strong against her. Hella strong. There's also, and she lost, but still looks very strong. There's also this idea that the Iconics are in their hometown. That's really, I think, why this match is happening. The WWE was like, look, we got two Australian people on the whole roster. We got to have them on the show. So I still believe, I believe that the Iconics are still going to work as heels. You know, I think they're going to insult, even though they're from the country, I don't know if they're from Melbourne. Um, you like that pronunciation? I don't know if they're from uh, Melbourne, but um, I still think that they're gonna they're gonna insult either the city or the soccer team or the stadium or something. I think they'll still work as heels. Uh, I'm interested to see how big the setup is because right now I'm just playing in my head that the theme song. And just thinking, it's like it could be epic if there's like a giant screen and a big long ramp in a stadium full of Aussies going like, "Yay!" It could be. I, I, yeah, potential entrances could be great. Let's keep in mind, the last time it was a big international stadium show was the Greatest Royal Rumble, and we saw the greatest entrance of all time, Titus O'Neil entering the Royal Rumble match. So, who knows what we'll see at the Super Showdown. Uh, I do think the Iconics are going to lose the match, though. I do think Asuka and Naomi are going to win. I think the Iconics are going to put the work in so that even the Aussies figure out that they're working as heels, try to get some booze out of this crowd, and I think that in their hometown, they're going to put on a hell of a match. I think that Peyton Royce was made to look strong against Asuka so that we could believe that uh, that they might win in this match against Peyton Royce and, uh, against uh, Naomi and Asuka. But I think Naomi and Asuka uh, will come out on top uh, in this match. We move on to the Cruiserweight Championship match, Cedric Alexander versus Buddy Murphy. Look, I think Cedric Alexander is going to keep the title, but it could, I mean, or it could go over to Buddy Murphy. I'm kind of 50-50 on this. But what I do think is that these Cruiserweights need to realize, and I think they will realize, that this is a massive opportunity for them. There's not... A lot of pay-per-view time for the cruiserweights. 
especially a pay-per-view this big that's hyped this much and it's this global of a show. So I think the cruiserweights need to try to steal the show as much as possible, not just for the sake of stealing the show, but to tell people, look, we got something pretty cool going on on this 205 Live show that you're not watching. There's a lot of WWE Network subscribers gonna be, that are going to be watching this Super Showdown show that are not watching 205 Live, and it's simply a matter of turning on the network on a Wednesday night. So I think that the 205 Live guys are going to do what they have to do to get the interest peaked in that show. That is what that match is going to be all about. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team titles are on the line. It's the bar and the New Day. I think that the New Day will probably retain, but in my heart, what do I want? I want the bar to win. You know, the bar getting moved over to SmackDown feels like a great opportunity to make the bar a bigger deal. Um, And I want that to start now. I'm ready for it. You know, for the first while that the bar was drafted to SmackDown, they were barely even on TV. So I, I, I think the bar is just this great tag team. I think it's the best thing Cesaro and Sheamus have done in quite some time. And it's only getting better. Um, And I think that those two holding the SmackDown Tag Team Championship would make for a great show every week. You know, I think that they're great in the ring. They could have their own segment, whatever they have to do. But the bar being title holders and being on TV every week would be really good for SmackDown, in my personal opinion. I think that that should happen. I'm not sure that it will, but it should. Speaking of SmackDown, of course, the Women's Championship, one of the most hyped matches, arguably to me, especially based on this week, what closed the show? AJ wasn't even there. Neither was Joe. I uh, I think that the, the Becky Lynch-Charlotte match might be the most hyped match on SmackDown, and rightfully so. Um, I think that this is a great opportunity. We, were, we moved in a great direction at Hell in a Cell when Becky Lynch won the title and she didn't shake Charlotte's hand. That's the type of stuff we've been looking for out of Becky Lynch. She reminded us that she's a heel, but she got the victory so that we weren't disappointed. And if you listen to the reactions, they've been better. It hasn't just been cheers for Becky, like, like so that it feels like the audience is uh, rebelling. I think something just fell. So that the audience is rebelling against, uh, sh- against WWE. You know, the way when Roman would come out and he'd get booed, it was a rebellious boo. We are not accepting this. That's not really happening anymore. Um, Becky's still getting cheers, but she's getting some boos. And the cheer and, and, and it's kind of like an acknowledgement the WWE has done enough where Becky Lynch feels like what she's doing is right and you kind of understand where she's coming from. So the cheers are not so unfounded. And she's giving you a reason to boo by still, even though she's the champion, being mean to Charlotte. That's the reason to boo. So they're 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 crafting a pretty great character in Becky Lynch. I think that she will retain this, the women's championship at Super Showdown. But I think this time she's not going to win it clean. I think this time she's going to cheat to beat Charlotte. And we will cement even harder that she's a heel when that happens. And I think that that'll be valuable for the Becky Lynch character. Uh, we move on to uh, the Raw Women's Champion, uh, not the Women's Championship match, but the Raw Women's match, which is Ronda Rousey and the Bellas versus the Riot Squad. I have no doubt that Ronda Rousey and the Bellas will win, but here's what I'm hoping. You know, there's a, a rumor going around that Nikki Bella is going to get the shot at Ronda Rousey's Raw Women's Championship, 
at the Evolution pay-per-view at the end of the month. So we could do this a couple different ways. The Bellas and Ronda Rousey could win and then have this sort of respectful match where Ronda goes, you know, you impressed me last night, you know, on Raw or whatever, on Monday. You impressed me on Saturday in Australia. And then Nikki Belly goes, well, why don't you give me a shot at that title? And it's, oh, well, we respect each other. Let's have this dream match, blah, blah, blah. Or, or you could do what I would do and have the Bellas turn on Ronda Rousey. I think that that's the most interesting thing you can do. And that's when we go back into the plan that I was talking about last week. You can see the clip of it on YouTube if you want, but the whole State of Wrestling video is at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. That's when we go back to my plan of last week and start the Divas stable, where it's the Bellas, you throw Alexa Bliss in, you throw Alicia Fox in, Mickey James, Maria Kanellis. The Divas return to reclaim the word Diva as heels you create a heel group that embrace the term diva and assert that the divas are better than the female wwe superstars and i think that not only at that point will you have a compelling match where you've got a heel nikki bella versus a babyface ronda rousey you've now given the fans reason to boo brie bella which they might be doing anyway and you got a hell of a women's survivor series match on the raw side if you've got your Divas on Raw, you've now got uh, Alexa Bliss, The Bellas, Alicia Fox, and Mickey James versus Ronda Rousey, Bailey, Sasha Banks, and then you could throw in a Dana Brooke. You could eliminate one of the either Bailey or Sasha Banks and put in the Riot Squad. You could just throw in Ruby Riot. You could. There's a. There's many different things you could do. In that scenario, but you've got a reason right there to do a five-on-five or shrink it down to four-on-four Raw Women's Survivor Series match where it's the female WWE superstars versus the Divas. I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, We move forward uh, to The Shield against Braun Strowman, Drew McIntyre, and Dolph Ziggler. Um, I think The Shield comes out on top. I think that you need to, if you're going to do a show like this in Australia in a stadium, you got to have that shot of the shield standing victorious. Now, you could have a couple things happen. Uh, I think Braun Strowman is going to stay a heel, so I don't think he's going to turn on Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler. But I think you could have, instead of having Dean turn on the shield, and I think you might have some teases of that, and then find out in the end they were just teases and everything's fine. The shield is together. The shield is okay. Um, but maybe seeds of doubt start getting planted in Drew McIntyre. Maybe you start to notice that Drew McIntyre is kind of looking at Dolph Ziggler a little bit crooked, and very, very slowly, the seeds of Drew McIntyre turning face start to happen. Maybe. I think it's a good idea. Daniel Bryan versus The Miz, number one contender match. Um, I talked about this a few weeks ago, and I stand by it. I've said uh, from the time that Daniel Bryan came back that Daniel Bryan versus The Miz should be your WWE championship match at WrestleMania. Um, and I still believe that it should be, but it can't be as predictable as I and a lot of other people have said it. Look, I said that a long time ago, and since I said it, I've heard it from other people. I've heard it on other radio shows and podcasts. Like, look, the word of Sam Roberts spreads around. What can I tell you? But as I said a few weeks ago, and I stand by it, Daniel Bryan should win this match. I think he needs the win anyway, and it would make people— because. In people's heads, they're like, okay, 
Miz beats Daniel Bryan for the number one contendership. He goes on to become the champion. Daniel Bryan wins the Royal Rumble. Miz versus Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. Here's the way I see it happening. Okay? And this tags into another match. Um, We have Daniel Bryan beat The Miz. Right? Daniel Bryan beats The Miz. He becomes the number one contender. Later in the evening, Samoa Joe shocks the world and wins the WWE Championship from AJ Styles. You got a lot of good guys winning. If you have it going my way, Samoa Joe would be a bad guy. He would shock a lot of people if he did it. And I I think it's time. I think this would be a good time for Samoa Joe run. Um, At that point, you go towards either Crown Jewel or Survivor Series and have the Samoa Joe versus Daniel Bryan championship match. Samoa Joe wins. I don't think that The Miz gets involved, in my personal opinion. Well, you know, The Miz probably gets involved in a peripheral way. Maybe The Miz is backstage. Maybe The Miz does something on screen. I'll think about how The Miz gets involved when we get closer to November. But for whatever reason, Daniel Bryan loses. That's his one shot. He does not win. We go forward to either the December pay-per-view or even Royal Rumble. I might push this until Royal Rumble. AJ Styles might get his rematch in December. Samoa Joe retains. Then Samoa Joe has a match with The Miz. The Miz beats Samoa Joe. The Miz becomes your WWE champion at the Royal Rumble, okay? Now everybody's going, well, clearly Daniel Bryan's going to win the Royal Rumble because The Miz just won it. But here's what happens. It's down to five guys. And The Miz is in there. I mean, and Daniel Bryan is in there. It's down to all, it's, it's, it's here, you got your final four guys in the Royal Rumble, right? It's three Raw guys and Daniel Bryan. So you're looking like, oh, we're doing a David and Goliath thing. It's Seth Rollins, it's Dean Ambrose, it's Daniel Bryan, it's Braun Strowman. Your final four in the Royal Rumble. So you're going, uh uh-oh, right? They're going, they're going, blah, 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 blah. All three of them are trying to eliminate Braun Strowman, right? All of a sudden, The Miz runs out, the new WWE champion, and eliminates Daniel Bryan. The Miz interferes in the Royal Rumble and gets Daniel Bryan eliminated. That way there's no heat except on The Miz, which is good heat. Now, we're down to Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Braun Strowman. Actually, no, 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 I did it wrong. Switch out Braun Strowman. Switch out Dean Ambrose. Mm. Switch out Dean Ambrose. Put in AJ Styles. Your final four are Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles. No, switch out Braun Strowman. Your final five include Braun Strowman, okay? We're figuring this out as we go, okay? Here's your final five in the Royal Rumble. Miz has just won the WWE Championship. Roman Reigns is still your universal champion, let's be honest. Um, So your final five is Braun Strowman, Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose. The four of them get together, eliminate Braun Strowman. Now you're looking at all baby faces. AJ, Rollins, Ambrose, Bryan. Boom, 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 boom. They're fighting. That's when The Miz interferes. 
and he tries to eliminate AJ. I mean, he tries to eliminate Brian. And AJ throws Miz out of here, but in an effort to throw Miz out, also eliminates Brian, right? So Brian's eliminated legit by somebody in the Rumble, which is AJ, but in reality, it's the Miz's fault. Now you're down to Dean, AJ, Seth, and we get down to it, and Seth Rollins wins the Royal Rumble. So you're now looking at a WrestleMania where you've got Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. I know, it's a pipe dream, whatever. It's my fanfic, okay? Then... We get to February where we can finally sort it out and Daniel Bryan can finally get his shot and he goes on to WrestleMania to face The Miz. That's how I get there. So Samoa Joe's winning the WWE Championship just so we can get to the place that I want to get to. Uh, moving forward, thank God. John Cena and Bobby Lashley versus Kevin Owens and Elias. I think that's pretty obvious. John Cena and Bobby Lashley win. Um, and, of course... The main event, at least it's being billed, The Undertaker with Kane versus Triple H with Shawn Michaels. Um, I do think that there's a high probability that the rumors are true and this is going to evolve into a tag match later on. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. But I think The Undertaker is going to win this match. For some reason, ever since he lost to Roman Reigns and came back from it, The Undertaker has been in a rebuilding phase. Squash John Cena. Came back and, and put Rusev in that casket. The Undertaker is being hyped up. The Undertaker is being built back to becoming a phenom. Roman Reigns was not the Undertaker's swan song. Something else is. And it's not Triple H at, at, uh, at Super Showdown. Okay? The Undertaker is going to continue to be strong. The Undertaker is going to win that match. It will evolve into a tag team match, but The Undertaker beats Triple H at Super Showdown. That's all the time I've got for you guys this week. Uh, folks, I appreciate you being here with me. To all you guys on Patreon to get the show early, I'm sorry that early was a little bit later, but uh, it's almost 10 o'clock on Wednesday night, and I still got to figure out what I'm going to talk about on the radio tomorrow. I got to edit this podcast. I got to go, folks. Thank you for being here, and we will see you next time on You Know What It Is. Not Sam Wrestling. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.